There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 413. And today in the show, I'm joined by West Virginia bow hunter Josh Ilderton to discuss his aggressive on-the-ground tactics for hunting whitetails. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. And today on the show, I'm joined by Josh Ilderton. And Josh is a southern West Virginia bow hunter, most well-known across most of the country for his work on the Untamed YouTube series. On this video series, Josh and a group of other avid hunters and houndsmen chase bucks and bears across West Virginia and several other nearby states. But from a whitetail perspective, what I think sets Josh apart the most is his penchant for chasing bucks on the ground. His self-proclaimed favorite way to hunt is glassing up whitetails from a distance and then putting on a stalk until he can get into bull range. And he's doing this in, I mean, it's the big, rugged, wooded mountains of West Virginia. And it is, it's really impressive what he's been able to pull off, not to mention it looks like a, a lot of fun. Uh, I've, I've followed a lot of what they're doing down there. It's, it's crazy what he's pulling off and it's got me, you know, personally more and more intrigued by the possibilities that whitetail hunting from the ground offers. Um, you know, this is something that I think people are discovering is more and more, what's the right word I'm looking for? Possible, I guess you're seeing folks like, uh, Jared with whitetail adrenaline or Zach with the hunting public. Now, Josh over here with the untamed people that are showing that, yeah, you don't need to sit in a tree stand or a saddle to kill deer. You can do it in really different kinds of ways. And I love that. That's one of my absolute most favorite things that has come out of this entire podcast. The last, however many years I've been doing this has been getting to learn about the million different ways you can do this thing. You can hunt deer, in so many different ways. And I'm just personally uh, just fascinated by the process of trying to figure out all those different types of styles and strategies. And, and each different one just, uh, I don't know, it, it gets me really interested and curious. And today for sure is an example of that uh, Josh is someone who I think, you know, 
I definitely learned a lot from. I think that all of you will be able to learn something from this, whether you hunt in West Virginia or Wyoming or points in between. I really think you're going to get some ideas here you can add to your own whitetail hunting arsenal. Uh, We talk about you know, how to find good country, how to uh, glass, specific tips on glassing for whitetails. We talk about when to stalk in them, when and when not to stalk on them. We talk about all sorts of advice for how to move on the ground when trying to approach a deer in this kind of situation. We talked about taking on the ground shots. Um, gosh, I don't know. This one went long. It was interesting. It kept me personally just just riveted the entire time. So I trust you'll feel the same way. I hope you do. I hope you enjoy this. I'm going to stop blathering on. I'm just going to let you get into it. So now, without further ado, my conversation with Josh Ilderton. Thanks for listening. All right, here with me now on the line is Josh Ilderton. Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. How are you this evening? I am really good and excited to talk to you. Uh, How about yourself? I'm doing great, buddy. I'm in Alabama currently, turkey hunting this week for the opening week of spring turkey season. And uh, we've been down here since last Thursday, Kirk and I have. And so anytime I'm in the woods, I'm pretty happy. Yeah, you can't beat that. How's the turkey hunting been? It has been slow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it, the birds aren't just, they're just not talking a whole lot. Um, we end up, I killed one this morning. Uh, nice congrats but we thank you uh, we've hunted hard though and we hunted national forest and i mean there are so many people up there and we'd heard a couple birds but they're pretty tight-lipped and henpecked and um just tough hunting and we drove south four and a half hours yesterday we we broke our, our tent camp down and said let's go somewhere else and uh we drove four and a half hours further south in Alabama and uh, ran out to some public, excuse me, last night to roost some birds and we were unsuccessful. And then we went on uh, a Marine Corps buddy of mine has a uh, lease and he said, man, and he said, we don't turkey hunt. He said, y'all are more than welcome. So, and they're not turkey hunters. So you never do know what to expect when people are giving you information. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we went out there this morning and, didn't strike any birds and about an hour after daylight heard a couple gobbles and running jumped on them and ended up killing one so uh, it's been tough hunting but that's part of it it's it's called hunting not killing yeah it's that uh sometimes that tougher longer process makes it that much sweeter yeah i mean and that's that's in every everything we do i mean in everything you do mm-hmm. uh, the sacrifices you make in hunting and and everything i do i mean when you when you have to sacrifice, it, it does make it feel better when when you find that success. Yeah. Do you find that to be a little bit of why, shifting deer hunting? Is that a little bit of why you deer hunt the way you do? Do you, do you purposefully kind of seek out that harder, more challenging process than some other things you could do? Um, Mark, tell you the truth, I don't – the way I hunt, I've hunted it. I've hunted that way for so long. I don't find it hard. I find it hard to, for these guys, there are so many hunters that are are just better hunters and deer hunters than I am. And I I see them. I mean, even in the area that we're from, I mean, uh, in Southern West Virginia, these guys that sit in tree stands 
day in and day out. I think those guys are hardcore. <laughs> I really do. I mean, I, I give them, I give them attaboys. I'll, I'll give them round of applause and everything. I'm just not going to do it. I mean, I like being on the ground and, and chasing them and covering, covering terrain and, and using terrain. And cause once you, once you find success in it, once you kill your first deer on the ground, you will be committed to hunting on the ground for a long time. Yeah. And you're going to fail way more than you're going to succeed. So tell me this, Josh, tell me, let's say, I don't know, let's say you're at the bar and you bump into some fellow hunters and they're talking to you and you get into, I don't know if it's debating, but you end up talking about their style of hunting versus your style of hunting. And let's say that for whatever reason, you had to convince them to to give it a shot, to give the ground hunting kind of spot and stalk style that you use a shot. If you were going to pitch them on why they should, what would your pitch be? My pitch would be uh, a couple different selling points. <laughs> One is... When you're on the ground hunting, you learn about everything else in that area along with the deer. Um, that's the that's the biggest advantage of ground hunting uh, for me is is learning. I mean, and I know it sounds minute, but learning where the squirrels are cutting. Uh, I mean, if the squirrels are cutting acorns, most likely the deer's eating them acorns too, right there. Uh, squirrels ain't going to eat rotten acorns. Um, you'll learn, you'll learn where the bears are. Uh, you'll learn the terrain. The terrain is, is so important, uh, when, when you're hunting on the ground and when you, you can learn everything and, you, and you, you're throwing a whole wealth of information in there to better yourself as a woodsman not just as a hunter. And that, that's what's important to me. And I, I, and it's action packed. I mean, it's not always action packed. I'll take that back. I mean, there might be days that you don't see any deer and I've had plenty of them. Uh, but most of the time I at least see deer or see wildlife. Uh, it might be bear or wild hogs, uh, or squirrels or turkey or stuff that I'm not hunting, but, um, you're always you always seem to be in the wildlife. You always seem to be in the mix with something. Uh, and you know, I hang too. I mean, there's days that I that you know that I'm in a saddle from daylight to dark. I've done it nine, ten days in a row. Um, it's just not my preferred style. I, I me hanging in a tree is not my preferred style. I mean. I, it just doesn't work for me because it's not a, it's not, it's not an opportune, opportunistic approach. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. You, you'd rather go get them than wait for them to, to fall on your lap. Yeah. I mean, I've, <clears throat> I've hunted one specific deer that I've actually put time in my whole life. And that was this past season. Um, that's the only deer that I've ever gave up six weeks of my hunting season for. <laughs> and and uh, 
it got killed by somebody else and congrats to him. I mean, it was a, you know, I think it grossed 174 is eight point. Wow. Um, and I'm usually an oppor- opportunity hunter. I mean, I, if, if I'm hunting and it and it tickles my fancy, then I'm, I'm going to go after it. I don't care if it's a 110 inch deer or 170 inch. Um, it's all in personal preference on, on what gets you excited when you're out there in the woods. And I think that me hunting on the ground gives me the best opportunities for that than hanging in a tree. Yeah. Now, am I right that from, from some of the things I've, I've seen and heard that big buck that you were after last year, you spent a lot of that time hanging for him from a tree. Why, why did you feel like in this case with this buck, you had to hang up in the tree, which is your not preferred style. Well, I'd had that buck since sixteen, and I've talked about I've talked about this deer a couple times, um, and I watched him and watched him, and I've hunted him on the ground, and it, and it's nothing but timber up there, and I don't know it, if you've hunted whitetail in the, in the big timber mark on the ground, not on the ground, yeah, so. You know, it's extremely tough. I mean, I, I've, I've found success uh, a couple times, but my, most of the time when I'm hunting in the timber, you know, I'm trying to educate myself. And if an opportunity presents itself, then I'll take it. Um, and I hunted him on the ground in 2000. I saw him twice in 2000. 20. No, no, that, 2019. I'm sorry. So it was two years ago on the ground. And then I had him about 80 yards in 2020, 2019. I'm sorry, December. Um, and he busted us. Well, some does busted us and he took off. But I thought that year was like his big potential year. Uh, and I had a lot of pressure hunting on me that year in 19 and I'd only hunted that up there on it in that section for like five days that year at it. And I seen him three times. Um, so coming into 2020, I'd put some, uh, cameras out and I, and I get very few pictures anyway, cause there's just not a lot of deer in that area. And I didn't get any pictures. And then August 23rd. I wake up and like, I start, I mean, I like, I jump up in the bed and, you know, it's like I hit the daggone lottery. You know, my wife's going, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I was like, he's alive. <laughs> he is alive. <laughs> you know? Yep. And I mean, he was just a freak and, and, and I'll send you, I'll send you a couple of pictures of him now that I, I got your number. And, yeah. Uh, so once I got pictures of him, then I, I piled in there and, and ran a lot of game cameras. Um, and the funny thing, Mark, is that, you know, I put a lot of time into it and I was, uh, I never saw him this year on the hoof and I was within, I think four, four or five times, uh, I was within 60 yards of him and never saw him because one of, one of the way I set my game cameras up, uh, I would be hunting a point and 
one of my game cameras on a on a down trail would go off and i i use cell cameras and regular cameras but i'd get on there and there he was walking past one of my cell cameras on a trail wow so and he- that happened that happened to me I, I i think it was four or five times this year and see i, I used when i use my trail cameras more i'll have a hub like i got his picture on on this uh and you gotta you gotta realize in southern West Virginia that you're gonna go up and you're gonna come down just as fast. I mean, they're real steep, and you peak up and it's 15 foot wide at the top, and you go straight back down the other side to the drain. So just kind of imagine that. And then you got coal seams in the mountain, and from years and years ago, they they'll have prospect roads where they went around and checked the coal seam so you'll have flats at, at the coal seam levels going down the mountain it's either the prospect roads or old skid roads for your loggers and so i found him on one of those flats so from that point i put cameras all the way around that flat within like maybe 200 yards on different trails i, I and when I say cameras, I, I had 13 cameras Wow! <laughs> on this deer. Uh, I put them on every trail. Um, every, every place that I thought he would cross, even if it wasn't a trail, anything. Low gaps. Uh, I mean, through tight little funnels, through rocks maybe. And so on. out of those 13 cameras, I found him on, I'd get him on four or five cameras. So then I'd go get the other cameras and I'd move them around those four or five cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a real process, but you know, it just didn't work out for me. I mean, I was close uh, and I left at, at uh, prime time in West Virginia is usually like the 12th through the 20th of November. And I left to go to Missouri to bow hunt and he got killed the third or fourth day I was in Missouri. But I already killed a deer. Um, I killed a deer on the ground, I think November 1st or 2nd. Uh, So I'd given up and I was hoping that he would make it through the year. Do you you feel now having had all that happen, you put in a lot of time, a lot of work, and then he got killed by someone else. It didn't work out for you. Do you have any regrets about doing this kind of style this year in which you waited and focused on one deer and really put a lot of time or, or are you, you okay with it that it didn't turn out and you're, you're glad because it was a shot you were willing to take, even though you knew you might miss. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I don't have any regrets. I mean, do I wish I'd have done I mean, I don't know if I could have done anything different. Only, you know, when you kill a deer, and then everybody starts going, well, I had pictures of him and I was doing this and mm-hmm. that. I got, I got these and they start sending, you know, pictures come out of the woodwork when deer gets killed. And I was in his bedroom. I felt like Mark, but come to find out when some people sent me pictures or they start posting pictures of him and then looking at timestamps and stuff, man, I was, I was out of the hunt probably 
60% of the time, man, that I was there. Hmm. Um, and didn't even realize it. And I, and, and the deer was so nomadic that, you know, I would get a picture of him, you know, four five, six hours. And I would know he would be in the area, but then going back and looking at timestamps on other camera pictures, I mean, that deer was, was gone. He was nowhere near me when I was hunting. He was, you know, 800, 900 yards away in straight line. And so I don't have any regrets. I mean, I mean, I laid, laid on this deer in different areas, uh, trying to figure him out. Uh, and I was unsuccessful at it. I mean, that, that, that probably bothers me more than anything that I didn't fail, but I mean, I was just unsuccessful after putting him that much time. I mean, I, I hunted nine days in a row and didn't see a deer. <laughs> That's tough. <laughs> Oh, uh, you talk about mentally challenging. Yeah. That, that'll challenge you. Yeah. Um, so that that bothers me, but you know what? It is what it is. I mean, congrats to that boy who killed him. Uh, I, I have It helped me that I will never um, pinpoint one deer and go after him. I, I, I'm all for the bow hunters that do that and the rifle hunters and any deer hunter that does that. They want to go after a specific animal. I'm for it. Me, I'm I'm going to go, and I'm I'm going to be, I'm going to be me and hunt my style. And if I see a deer I want to kill, then I'm going to go after it. Yeah. Um, from now on. Well, it's uh, it, it's interesting to go through an experience like that. I've I've had some somewhat similar situations, and and I wrestle back and forth between. You know, do I ever want to do that again? There's there's certain things about it I love. There's certain things where I'm kicking myself about it afterwards. And and I I've had a handful of times where I've sworn it off. I'll never get obsessed with a single buck again. And then the next year or two years later, one of these suckers gets under my skin, and then there I am again. So uh, yeah, it could happen to me. Yeah, but I feel like when you uh, and it might just be me, but I feel like when you go all in on that one deer, it, it consumes you. Yes. I mean, it doesn't only consume you in, in your outdoor life. It consumes you in your personal life. Yeah. Uh, it can affect, and I mean, I've seen it. I mean, I, oh, I've felt it. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't worried uh, if I wasn't going to make it home for dinner. I wasn't worried if I was canceling a date night. You know, I'm I'm hunting, and that's not the – that's not the right thing to do because um, it will consume you and affect stuff outside of hunting. And when it does that, then I think it's the wrong thing to do. And, and I'm just not going to let it affect me like that anymore. Yeah. It can be a slippery slope. That's for sure. So let's, let's kind of pivot to your usual style, which is what you turned to on November 1st and, and immediately had success this past year, which I want to dive into that specifically at some point. But let's rewind just a little bit and just kind of set the stage a little bit more. You mentioned, you know, at the top that you like to hunt on the ground. You like to get get after those deer. You mentioned that the terrain there in southern West Virginia is, you know, steep up and down. But can you paint a little bit more of a picture of the kind of terrain? Um, any other aspects of the terrain that you're hunting? Can you just help us better understand the types of places, both specifically where you hunt and more generally 
the kinds of places that you could hunt this style? Yeah, so I grew up hunting. We in West Virginia, we call it the Southern Four, and that's the there four out of the fifty five counties in West Virginia are bow hunting only. Okay, uh, have been since nineteen eighty. I think it was seventy nine, but right around that area that it's been bow hunting only since then. Southern West Virginia and those southern four counties is also four of the top producing cold counties in the state. And and with coal, you have surface mining. Well, surface mining comes through, they take the mountains off and they put mountains back, but then you have great vegetation once they put it back. And it's not the big timber, hardwoods. Yeah, it'll come back in years to come, but like when it, five to 10 years with of it shutting down, you have, and I've never, I've never hunted in Kansas or Iowa or anything like that, Mark, um, but I've seen a lot of videos and a lot of footage from out there, and you have kind of the, uh, in Nebraska, you kind of, it's not like open plains, but it's, when they reclaim these mines, uh, it uh, comes back and, you know, there, there's thick brush, there's high grasses, there's clover, it's kind of rolling hills, but then you get you get away from the strip, and that's that's kind of one terrain model is kind of it's your open prairies are sitting up on top of these mountains. If that makes sense, it's mm-hmm. it's kind of you kind of flip flop it because of coal mining. You know, usually your bottomlands are rolling and grassy and got your thickets and stuff, and then you kind of go up to your timber. Well, in southern West Virginia, it's kind of flip flop because of mining and reclamation process. When they reclaim, you kind of have all that flat rolling land up on top, and then you move down to the hardwoods from there. Uh, that's that's some of the biggest terrain that we hunt. And then the other terrain is like I was saying before: if you're hunting the, the timber in southern West Virginia and or southeast Ohio, southeast Ohio, you know you're just hunting the big woods, and the you know, where we hunt in Ohio is the same, pretty much the same area, not quite the elevation uh, as in southern West Virginia, but it's steep, it's nasty. Um, and, you know, it. it's not any fun to think about it, but, <laughs> like, when you're there, like, you don't want to be anywhere else. Hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, like... Uh, West Virginia is like one of the, in my opinion, one of the most underrated places to hunt. Now it's hard as hell, but it could be very, the rewards could be very, very high. Yeah. So do you, do you, so it sounds like you hunt some places that are relatively open, some places that are heavily wooded, but both of those types of areas have got some significant terrain to them, some topography to them. Um, do you think that's kind of a prereq to your way of hunting? You need some elevation, some up and down, or could someone listen to you today that lives in flat country 
in Michigan maybe or or Ohio, but not in the hilly part of Ohio. Could they take some of this stuff and apply it even in flat stuff? Absolutely. I was in Ohio. Uh, Jay and I were hunting in Ohio. Um, I don't know, Mark, five or six years ago. And it was my first time out there on this property, and we're hunting in uh, western Ohio, where it's a lot flatter. I mean, heck, it's pretty much flat as a pancake. And he said, where are you going to hunt this evening? Have you looked? And I said, I said, yeah. I said, I said I'm going to just hunt on the ground. He said, Josh, he said, people in Ohio, you don't hunt on the ground in Ohio. And I said, well, I hunt on the ground everywhere. <laughs> and he said, well, you're not going to do it here. You, you're not going to do anything but bust everything out. And uh, so we sat there and talked about it. And I told him, I said, well, here's what I'll do. I said, you're going over here to get in this stand. I said, I'll stay completely away from you, but I'm, I'm going to hunt the, the the back block and the side block. I said, if I do bump everything out, like you say, I said, everything's going to feed up to you through, through, the, through the spring. And uh, he said, well, and he said, I just think you're wasting your time. And this is with, this is before Jay started ground hunting. So I'm in Ohio, flat, nasty. I mean, it's it's thicket kind of uh, vegetation. And I hunt that whole afternoon, and, and the key, uh, well, I hunt that whole afternoon. I ended up seeing, I don't know, 20 or 25 deer. Uh, I saw two shooters, and I ended up bumping one to Jay. And I and Jay he texted me says hey man I just shot I just shot a big eight point and I was like man I was just looking at an eight point <laughs> you know ten minutes ago oh man and uh, I said I said I'll go ahead and and come out of here I said I'll just start working my way up to the CRP and and I'll be up there in an hour or so and he was like okay so and I'm in CRP now. And, you know, that stuff's just grabbing hold of you, and, and it's just nasty. There's no lanes, and I'm trying to work through it. It's probably waist high, but I'm still hunting now. And I look, and there's there's, there's a patch, of, and I have no idea why there's four sycamore trees and why the farmer left them in the middle of this field, uh, in the middle of this, this CRP. And I look, and I, and I catch a sunlight glimpse. You know, it's just one of those uh, photographic memory type things. When you look at something so much that you, you know, you look for different things on the deer when you're on the ground. Mm-hmm. And like, I catch a tip, tip of a glare and I stopped and I was like, man, I think that's a deer. Well, I looked and it was, and I finally saw him move after looking at him for like 15 minutes. And he was a stud of a 10 point. And so I, I started sneaking on that deer and, and got within 20 yards and it was getting dark on me and wind was perfect and everything. And Jay was actually in the tree stand on the hedgerow, 250 yards from me, watching me. And he's texting me. And this is after the fact that I get his message. He's like, what are you doing? And, you know, he sees me sneaking towards these sycamore trees. Well, it starts getting, I'm losing light. So I, I stand up and pull back and whistled at this deer and he still didn't hear me. I had to win in my, my advantage too. 
and he still didn't hear me. And I ended up having to holler at him and uh, hollered, hey. And when I did that, you know, typically whitetails will stand up, check everything, and then take off. You'll have a few seconds. But this deer bound out like a mule deer. And, you know, it didn't get a shot, but it was an absolute great evening. And Jay and I were talking. He's like, dude, he said, how many deer did you see? And I told him. And then he saw me stalk up on that 10 point. And uh, I said, man, I seen deer and sign. I learned where they were bedding and everything. And uh, he said, that's crazy. He said, he said, I've never, never ground hunted. And now he ground hunts. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, that kind of experience will, will sell you on it. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the greatest thing. And when you're the biggest thing, when you're, hunting the flatland you just have to adjust your speed uh, for me i look i glass more move less and all i mean the flatland you can only imagine how important you all use it when you're in a tree stand uh of how important it is on the ground so you know i'm constantly uh wind checking and and glassing is the, you know, the biggest thing I do. I mean, I'll sit in glassing area in the timber and make sure that there is absolutely nothing there. Um, and there, sometimes there always is, and no matter what, you you bump deer, but those deer aren't going anywhere. They're just going far enough away from you to quit running. You know, they're not, they're not running out of the county. Everybody gets on to me and says, well, you're just going to bump the deer out of the hunting area. Well, you're not going to bump him. You're just going to bump him far enough to where he's just going to get away from you. Now, if you go chasing him, you're going to, you know, he's going to run from you. You know, so I slow down when I'm on flat ground. And like I said, I take less steps or slower steps, should I say. And, you know, constantly, constantly glassing. Uh, so those are the big things for, um, for me when it comes to hunting those open areas. Yeah. So let's go back home. Let's go back to your local stuff, the, the, the rough country of Southern West Virginia and that I'm guessing a lot of people in different parts of Appalachia could probably apply some of these things. Um, talk, talk me through from like the beginning of, of a day, let's say, let's say you're heading out there to hunt. I'm imagining that one of the first things you're trying to figure out is, is where am I going to start? How do you pick where you're starting the day? What are you thinking about? What's your game plan kind of thought process look like, you know, the more that morning when you're getting ready to go out or, or something like that. Just, just kind of fill me in on that first couple steps of the process. Well, I'm gonna tell you that's the other big advantage of ground hunting, Mark, is that you ain't gotta be out there until daylight. All right, I'm it's, sold. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I had to hear. Yeah, you know, I do like, <laughs> I do like the aspect of not having yeah. to get up extremely early. Uh, you know, I can stop and everybody's rushing to get to their tree stands, you know, I can stop and have me a cup of cup of coffee and mm-hmm. get me a biscuit. And so that's the, that's the big advantage <laughs> yep. and start the day off. Right. Yep. Uh, but no, I mean, um, 
a lot of the places that I hunt, um, I've hunted them for years. So I ha- I've I've gone through and I've picked out these glass and um, points, and they they could be anywhere from a glassing point that gives me the advantage to look at you know hundreds of acres, um, or it could be just a glassing point that gives me the best advantage to look at a a, a small scale but I know there's a lot of deer activity there. You know, I'm just not glassing these open areas more. I'm glassing in the woods. I mean, uh, it's kind of like, and I've never Western hunted, uh, but I see those guys glassing all the time. I mean, I, I'm I'm behind a spot and scope and binoculars I, three, four, five hours uh, some days, uh, you know, looking in the woods and try, trying to find deer bedded down at that point or seeing where they're going. But normal day, I will I will choose the area to go in. Um, I, I have already scouted that area, so not scouted it for animals, scouted it for vantage points to glass from. Um, I don't really, um, that's the only thing that I'll like, like truly scout for uh, is places where I can go sit in glass. And that's literally just having gone out there at other points of the year, walked around, drove around, and found a couple good vantage points. Yeah. I mean, it's it's going in and saying, man, I wonder how much I can see from there. Or, uh, you know, and it's, that's the – it's very simple. You're finding um, – what area that you can see the most terrain and the best terrain because there's bad terrain and there's good terrain you know you can't be glassing where there's no deer you know you got to be it's just like you don't want to hunt anywhere there's no deer so you're not going to glass there but that's that's the first thing that i do i mean i really don't and i well i just say I, i really don't scout for deer mark i don't go out and uh, I don't, I'm not a shed hunter because I got so much other stuff going on. I don't have time to shed hunt. Um, I will look for trails and stuff in the, in the winter time, but I'm just not a big scout deer scouter because I know that I'm going to be learning stuff new every fall because I'm going to be moving and glassing. Um, hunting on the ground is such a, a broad spectrum. It's good to know that you have deer in that area where you're glassing, but I don't have to commit all that time to scouting. I'll commit it all to glassing once the once you know once August rolls around. I'll commit the time to just glassing uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So you do you do summer glassing to then just tell if there's enough deer or bucks, that kind of thing. And that, that, that yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, once I find, find the vantage vantage points that I'm going to glass from, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of the day. I mean, I move around if I glass an area and I feel like I've glassed it, uh, uh, to a point that, you know, I don't feel like there's anything in there I want to go after. And that could be, 
that could be 30 minutes or it could be two hours, three hours or whatever. Uh, I might see deer that are acting a certain way. And I say, well, I'm going to hang in here and see, you know, what they're acting weird about. Or, you know, if, if, if I think that uh, it's does that might be coming into heat or a doe, then I might stay and watch and see if anything comes in there after. Um, it's, there's so many situations when you're, when you're glassing that you can be put in. And that's the other great thing about it is, and I always go back to you learn so much when you're hunting on the ground. And that's the reason because you, you might take off after a deer that's on, on its feet. You might take off after a deer that's bedded. Uh, and if you're going after the, when they're on their feet, then you're making some decisions on where that deer is going to, where you think that deer is going to be. If you don't, if you're unable to keep eyes on, then you're taking some guesses and that's when you start learning. On your assumptions of what that deer, what, you know, what that deer is going to do when you lose, you know, line of sight. Yeah. Uh, but so I pick a place out. Um, I mean, I've got a, a chair that I carry and, uh, you know, two or three sets of binoculars and a spot and scope. And, uh, I know it sounds crazy, but, and I sit there in glass and, um, and like I said, it might be there short time or a couple of hours and I'll move to another spot. There's days that I might hit six or seven spots, Mark, and not see any deer. Do you glass, if you have the time, will you glass all day? Or do you take the middle of the day off and go get lunch? Or what's that look like? Uh, most, most of the time, once, um, once season hits, I'm going to say about – the third week of September, first of October. Um, if I'm deer hunting and glassing, I'm probably I'm probably committed to to all day unless the weather's just jacked up and it and it's too hot. Uh, okay. That's the only thing that'll affect me is if it gets hot, then I'm probably going to take midday off and be back up at at sunset. Um, but most of the time, um, I stay out all day long. That is, you know, when I say that there are, man, there, there's people that, that I would love to podcast with because of their knowledge of deer hunting in Southern West Virginia. They're just such good deer hunters and they kill deer and I kill deer, but I think the biggest thing like for me is. I feel like nobody's going to outwork me. Like I get opportunities because I stay there. I get opportunities because I go as much as I can, no matter what. So I think that that, that gets paid off when you put your time in, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so what about time of year? Now you, you maybe kind of sort of answered it for me already saying that, you know, once you get to late September or early October, you start spending most of the day when you can. But does this ground 
spot and stock style work for you early season all the way to the late season or is there kind of a sweet spot during the rut when most of the success is happening or can this happen any time of the year oh there there's definitely better times to be out there than than others but i mean i hunt on the ground all all season long the thing that affects us affects me us is um is bear season there there's a long season there that comes in around labor day for two or three weeks so i really don't deer hunt a whole lot during that time unless it's a evening hunt after we've got done bear hunting so i don't get started until late september uh deer hunting mark gotcha um but it doesn't matter where i mean i hunted uh in missouri i hunted on the ground three days and i was in nothing but timber um I didn't have any success, but I learned a lot. I think I'll have success if I go back to that area. Now, back to those glassing knobs. Um, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about things you're, I mean, when you say glassing, I mean, I know simply that's going to mean you're you're looking at country with your binoculars, with your spotting scope, but can you give us some details on you know, your glassing process. Is there any little tips or tricks you've picked up over the years that you now use to, to be better at spotting deer behind binoculars or spotting scope? Is there a certain process you go through? Is there a certain, you know, you go from left to right and then move down and then left to right and then down or what, what does that look like for you? The, the best way to, to learn to glass is, and we, Usually, I mean, usually there's two or three of us glassing. And the best way to learn for us, and for me too, when I started hunting on the ground, when I first got when I first got out of the Marine Corps, there was a guy there in Logan. Um, his name was Keith Alfred, and he hunted on the ground a lot. And, you know, I don't even know how we got buddied up, but we got buddied up. And uh, Keith, he's the one who got me into turkey hunting. And well, I started deer hunting with him. And he had hunted on the ground a little bit and spot and stalk. And it just wasn't something you did there in, in, in that area in the early 90s. Or no, no, not the early 90s. There was a 2000s. Hell, I was putting age on me. <laughs> and uh, so we started doing that. And, well, he and I, I wasn't very good at it. We would be looking and he'd say, okay. He said, I see, I see, you know, I see three does. And, uh, well, he, I wouldn't find him and then he'd give me a couple of hints and from the hints, I would find them. And then once you found them, you know, you're looking for that shiny black nose. You're looking for ear flickers or ear shapes. The white patch on their necks is just a huge spotter. Um, you know, their tines glaring, uh, you know, their eyes, uh, tail flicker, um, and he would do that every time that he would spot a deer before me, he wouldn't say, well, there, there's a deer right there at 200 yards under that pine tree. We don't have a lot of pine trees. I'm just using it as an example. Um, he would always say, I see a buck, um, in this, in this area. And so, so I've started doing that. So now I'm glassing and I'll have somebody with me and I'll say, okay, I see, you know, five deer, they're on the move. You know, they're moving east to west or south to north, whatever it be. And the same thing will happen to me 
is if somebody else is glassing with me, they will say, okay, you know, I, I see a deer in this area. And so I, you have to find the deer that he spotted. And, it, and I know it seems childish, but it helps train your eye and your brain to spot those uh, different parts. You get to see what the guy glassing beside you sees to make him find that deer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I can see. I can see how that'd be helpful. Yeah. So it's, it's like a, it's like a game. So you get in there and you're like, I want to find the first deer because I want, I don't want to have to find his deer. I want to find my own deer. Yeah. And, he, and then he has to find it. So like you're looking real hard. Um, but you know, most of the time I always, I'll start with the binoculars and the, I scan when I scan and I know it's going to sound crazy. I, I scan at long W's. Um, so I go up and down across the hill, but they're not like drastic W's. They're flatter W's. If that makes sense, Mark. Yep. I follow. Um, and that's how I, I scan with my binoculars is, is that flat W's all the way across because if your if your W's are flat enough, let me explain this. <laughs> if your W's are flat enough, your field of view in your binoculars should cover the gap in between your down W. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. So you, you're you're going to cover everything, even though your main focus that, is not. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. You're going to cover everything with without actually covering everything. Yeah. That peripheral vision will, then, will catch something on the edges. Yes. Yeah. And then so my the way I scan is I'll scan across and then I drop back down and I I come back. I don't go back over and start left to right. I I then I zigzag going down. Um, is the way I, I scan and it, it, it works for me. And then if I see an object that I'm unsure of, then I'll get behind the spot and scope. And if I can't see it after that, then I move to make sure I'll have somebody, if I'm by myself, then I'll just have to pick it up. But I usually leave somebody there just to keep me on line of sight. So I can look, look at it from a different angle. Whether it's it, you might only have to move twenty yards, and you know you can see see something different. But that's that's pretty much how I glass, and I carry I carry a set of twelve by fifties, and I carry a set of ten by forty twos binoculars, uh, and uh, and then I have my spot and scope, and then I have a small pair of binoculars that I use actually when I'm on the go. Now, do you run your binos on a tripod when you're glassing like that, or do you just handhold them? I handhold. Okay. I do. Well, I say I handhold, but I'm a, I'm a bone support person, so most of the time my elbows are inside of my thighs. Yep. Uh, and sitting there is is mainly what I do. Um, but but I handhold. I, I do like them off. I like them off a monopod. 
Um, just I have used them off a of monopod quite a bit, uh, but most of the time I'm just hand holding my binos and then you know spot scopes on tripod. Okay. And I and I'm a big angle spot scope guy. Why why is that? Ah, just comfort because you know when I'm sitting there, I can I can be looking over top with my binos, and instead of me. No matter if I'm if I'm standing up, it doesn't matter. I'm always looking over top of my spotting scope. And then if I want to use my spotting scope, all I have to do is it's already set to my height. Is I just have to bend over and put my eye in the eyepiece. If I have a straight spotting scope, you know I've got to put my binos down. I've either got to squat, and in 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 and that's fine if you're if you're only doing if you're only looking at a at a you know, a, a crow every two hours, that's fine if you want to squat down and look for me. But like if you're doing it for hours of the day, it's just easier for me to put my binos on the chest and I just bend my neck down and I'm already there in the eyepiece and I look. It's just more comfortable long term for me. Yep. That makes uh, sense. So, uh, and that's pretty much my glass. I mean, the, and I recommend if you're going to hunt on the ground, you get good glass, you sacrifice. It's, it's like anything you, you get what you pay for. Um, and good glass will definitely contribute to success hunting on the ground. Pay attention here. Cause this is a hell of a good service. It's called the wellness company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater and use promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater. Hey, everybody knows Weber grills. I've been using Weber grills my whole life and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood pellet grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear what I like to do on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you great smoke at 180 degrees, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. This, this, this is my way of bowl staying. If I was going to cook roast one way, that's how I like to do it, sear roast. 
Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. Direct flame cooking. Create searing, crisping, and browning. Food's going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill and enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. How much of your time hunting this way, if you had to make a rough ballpark, what percentage of your time spent hunting is is glassing versus you know stalking in and trying to make a kill is it is that it's probably the, the vast majority of your time right i i should keep track of it but i if i had to guess mark i'm i'm probably glassing 60 to 70 percent of the time yeah yeah and i mean and i mean i'm if i'm if i'm deer hunting i'm glassing 60 percent of the time i'm hanging Probably 65% of the time I'm glassing, I'm hanging probably 10% or 15% of the time, and then I'm hunting on the ground 20% of the time. Yeah. Going after a deer. Yep. So let's talk about that part, going after one, and and the decision that happens between glassing and going after one. How do you make the decision of when to go? So I'm going to... I'm not talking about like, do I want to shoot that deer or not? Let's just say like you've determined like, yeah, that's a shooter. But how do you determine when's the right time to stop watching him and start going after? Do you, do you always wait for him to bed down or do you always wait until he's, you know, either that or he's out of sight or, you know, what are the things that make you think, oh, I need to sit and wait and keep watching or no, I got to go right now. (laughs) Most of the time, I'm a go right now guy. Okay, <laughs> I'll right. be sitting there. I'll be sitting up there once I see a deer I want to shoot at. Man, my my heart and everything it'd be running like a time and chain on a funny car. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm ready to get after it. <laughs> right. I start getting excited, Mark. I get that. Yeah. Uh, so, when, out of all the deer I've killed on the ground. Two of them have been in, been deer that have bedded. One of them was a deer that was bedded, and I went into his bedding area because there was no chance of me getting a shot at him otherwise. So I got ultra aggressive and went into the bedding area. I actually bumped him at, at 25 yards, um, and I was in – waist to chest high thicket and you know i was moving slow and i I know it sounds like well how the hell are you even moving um but so i most of the deer i've killed i go after them as soon as i see them when they're on feet okay and what i is what i was getting to yep so so you spot them and you're you're excited so you're going after them right away what are the things that you might, I'm sure that there's a couple minutes or some number of moments after you spot them when you're thinking through a couple key things. I'm betting that you're trying to think about, okay, where's he going to go? I'm betting that you're thinking about like, you know, where do I need to go? I'm betting you're thinking about a couple other things. Can you just walk me through 
your thought process immediately after seeing him? Like, what do you need to check in your mental checklist before chasing him? Well, the, the absolute first thing that I check in once I once I figure out that I'm going to go after deer is I try to see what the wind is doing in that area because the wind might not be doing the same thing over there that it is where I'm at. That's the you know that's the joys of hunting and the terrible terrain that we hunt in is the wind could be blowing north where I'm at and 150 yards where I see a deer, it could be blowing hard east. And so I check the vegetation to see what the wind's doing where he's at, number one. Uh, number two, I'm getting what gear I'm going to need. You know, we we wear ghillie suits. Uh, I wear uh, a ghillie suit that I made uh, most of the time. Sometimes it's just too hot, too hot for them. Um, you know, we're getting all our stuff. Up. There is time between the time that you spot that you're going through and making sure you have all everything you need for one before you take off after him. And because once you commit to a deer, you might be hell. You might be four, five, six hours on a deer. Um, and you're trying to figure out, and there's, you know, we get into more, so many different situations. If he's with a doe, if it's with bachelor, a bachelor group, if it's early season, late season, if he's in the food, if he's not in the food. Um, and so you're running all these things in your head and trying to figure out where he's going to go. And then you got to figure out one, are you going to go into a direct spot and stalk? Or are you going to try to ambush him? And, you know, if you're going to ambush him, then you're going to try to figure out where he's coming to or where he's going. Uh, most of the time, I just try to stay right on him. Now, I might, I might end up going into an ambush strategy in the middle of a spot stalk because something has changed. Uh, but those are the things that I'm thinking about when I get ready to go is, am I going to go after him or am, am I going to kind of take my time and then try to ambush him here uh, where I think he's going to go. And and when you say ambush, you mean essentially loop ahead of him to get where he's trying to go and be waiting there when he covers the final hundred yards or something, right? Yeah, that's right. And it, and it might not be this – and it don't – when you're thinking about this, Mark, don't think about it as like you're going to throw this big half mile loop. You might only move 50 yards to ambushing. You might be in your spot and stalk and he's moving going, oh, he's going to come up this drain over here. I just need to, I need to jump around here 50 yards and then he's going to come up. You know, it's just a situational based thing where on the ambush, he's coming to you on the spot and stalk. You're going to him. Okay. Is the way kind of I would explain it. You know, if you're in true spot and stalk, then you're getting aggressive and you're going to the deer. If you're going to ambush him, the deer, you're going to let him come to you. Now, is there ever a set of conditions that would keep you from going after a buck? Like if it is perfectly still 
and no wind, no sound, anything. Will that keep you from doing it or, or no matter what, you're going to try it? Most, most of the time, if I have time, I'm, I'm going, I'm going to try it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, I just think that, um, I just think that there are very few opportunities once, once you're out there. And I think that no matter what, and, and, and we go back and forth all the time talking about it, whether you, it's okay to bump deer, uh, the you, and I've been on so many deer in, in the past 15 years, um, that I've bumped that day. And I've watched him run Mark across the top of the, this strip mine, six, 700 yards out, out of sight and be right back on that deer the next day. You know, so, you know, bumping them out. I mean, I, I'm not so worried about it because it could be another deer in there the next day. I'm not, you know, when you're hunting on the ground, you're not, you're being an opportunist. So I don't worry about bumping them. I mean, I, and the only thing that keeps me from going after a deer is if the wind is bad. If, if, if the wind's bad, I probably ain't going to go after him, but there's always a different direction to go after him just because of the wind. So, yeah. Now on that topic of bumping deer, uh, this was uh-huh. something I've wondered about and, and would always be something that I'd be concerned about. Even though I get what you're saying that a lot of times these buckle bucks will come right back the next day. What happens when you hunt, you know, day after day after day, do you ever find that you burn out a specific area or do you move around and hunt so many different areas in this big country that you never end up hunting the same, you know, 60 acres over and over and over. You're, you're kind of spreading out that pressure. Have you ever seen anything like that or you're able to account for it just by moving? Yeah. I mean, I move quite a bit, but I mean, I've laid in areas, um, for a few days on end. Uh, hunting on the ground, uh, deer I killed uh, three years ago. I think it was three years ago. Uh, I think it was in 2017 or 18. Mark, I killed a big eight point on the ground, and I was on that deer. I think three days in a row. And in this, I mean, I'm talking about within the same same 500 yards. I was all over that deer and I'm not talking about when I was on that deer, I was on him and he got away from me in 15 minutes. I mean, I was hours playing cat and mouse, um, with him and, and, and two other bucks that was with him. They were in a bachelor group in early season and it never affected those deer. I mean, I, I'd be in there in the daytime chasing them and they come right back there, you know, that night, feeding in that area and then I'd spot them again in the same grass that I crawled through the day before. <laughs> uh, and it, it never did bother him. Um, I mean, I ended up killing it during, and he, he got 14 steps from me and I, you know, I shot him in the chest. Yeah. I saw that one. That was, that was something. Yeah. So that deer and he was with two other bucks. And I'm telling you, never affected. And and I and Jay and I laid 
in a very small area, Mark, for, for three days chasing those deer. Uh, and it never affected them. I mean, now the wind, wind swirls bad up there, but I mean, we had to lay down seeing I'm not, I'm, I'm not the most sink con, sink control guy. Uh, so, I mean, I know we laid scent down, uh, but it didn't seem to bother them. And, but I've been in areas that we go and you might stay two days and you're not going to see any deer in there for four or five days. Um, it could be because of our scent and we've laid it down and it spooked them, or it could just be that they're just not in that area those four or five days. Yeah. So how much, what kind of, what kind of ground do you have in your back pocket? I mean, do you think that coming into a season, are you working with a couple thousand acres worth of different chunks of public here and here and here that you've got to work with that you'll be bouncing around or, or do you focus on a couple little hundred acre zones that you know are awesome or do you have 20 different places and 20,000 acres worth of different general areas that you could pick and pick and uh, pick from across the course of the season. I'm just kind of curious so that someone would know what they should be thinking about. Well, I mean, say that Mark Kenyon wanted to come to Southern West Virginia and spot a stalk. And let's say he does, because he does. (laughs) Say, Say you come down there and you don't know me. Okay. So you're coming down just off looking at the area and looking off mapping. I mean, we've got some, we don't have a lot of public land, but the public land we got, man, it's, it's, it's hot. I mean, I, and I don't care to tell your listeners that, uh, we hunted public land big time there for a long time. And, and we still hunt some public in Southern West Virginia, but one of the disadvantages of having a YouTube channel is that people find out where you're hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, and it is what it is. I'm glad more people are out there. I, uh, I am. Uh, but I don't hunt a lot of public in West Virginia anymore because of it. But I hunt public in Ohio, a lot of it. I hunt all public in Ohio. Um, but in West Virginia, um, we've been successful in, in leasing land. It's in, 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 so down in, down in, the Southern Four, most of your land is owned by land companies, and, and the land companies lease out to coal companies. Um, so I've been successful in, in getting a couple of tracts of land uh, leased in the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, when I go into the season, I mean, and I have a couple of permissions to hunt out some other coal mining land, I mean, it, if I had to guess, Mark, I mean, I'm looking at going into hunting season, you know, with eight to 10,000 acres of land that I can glass on. Um, but there's 32,000 acres in the WMA down there that is, is hot, you know, and, and we've seen, we've seen, uh, monsters in, I mean, Trace in 18, I mean, we videoed him spot stalking a Boone and Crockett. Yeah. In the WMA, it ended up getting poached. Uh, that deer was was on the verge of making it through that year, and he, he ended up getting uh, poached. Uh, but after that year, you know, 
the the crowdedness of hunters uh, because of videos, you know, it got highly populated, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still good hunting. Uh, you just have to you just have to work harder. Yeah. Um, and, and there's I don't know. I think there's a half a dozen WMAs throughout um, the Southern Four. I mean, there's been people come down and hunted with me the last couple of years, Mark. And everybody always talks about swamp hunting being tough. But if you can imagine how big the area is in, in Southern West Virginia and the habitat's all the same. I mean, the deer, there's next to impossible to um, put any sort of pattern on them. Most of your, your big trophy bucks are nomadic and they might come through where you got them on a pattern. They might come through there every three or four days or they might come through every day. Uh, but it's very tough because of the habitat hell because it's all the same. Um, they could, they could stop and just lay down anywhere and it's going to be the same as they would the same type of training. If they move two miles, lay down tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's just extremely, it's, it's very tough whitetail hunting. Um, but it'll teach you a lot. Yeah. But it, it, speaking of that, in, in that kind of steep country, uh, if you had to generalize where they typically bed, could you? Is there any kind of typical thing you could say, well, they're usually bedding off on these points or usually on these benches or, or whatever? Is there anything like that that you can kind of count as a as a usual? Yeah, I mean, and, and taking both types of trains, you know, on the, on the strip jobs, the old reclaimed mine lands, uh, if it has grown up enough up on top, they're going to nestle in in the uh, in the high brush and the thick brush and stay up high to where the food source is. But now, if the acorns hit, they're they're going to probably be down off the woods. They're not going to stay up on the strip, so they're going to they're going to be in the woods. So, and that's when you change strategies and go to the big timber instead of hunting on the reclamation land. Uh, but if you're hunting in the big timber, I mean. Most of these most of these bucks are bedded on these points, uh, and and these finger the spines is what we call them, um, because when you got a point that's going straight up and down, it's not much of a point here, Mark. Um, so, and they're probably uh, you'll probably find most of your deer bedded in the the upper two thirds of the hillside. Okay. Um, but now, if they can, if they can, if if these reclaimed lands are are growed up enough, they're gonna uh, they're gonna stay up high and bed in that in that high brush, and 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 that's where that that's where I find most of them is okay. is bedded down in that reclaimed area. And let's talk. Let's let's get in back to the stock then. So we we kind of covered the things you're thinking about when deciding to stock or not, but let's say you, you're, you're going, 
you got eyes on one and you're making your move now. Can you talk yeah. me through a few of the things that you're doing or the few of the things you're thinking about when actually on the move? Um, you know, whether that's, you know, some things you've learned to help you be a quieter, more stealthy stalker or some things uh, that you have to be constantly monitoring on the move. Kind of walk me through what you're doing now that you've become so experienced at this when you're actually trying to close the distance. Um, my biggest thing is I'm, I'm, I bet you, I, I don't know how many bottles of, I carry that up in smoke wind checker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's non, non affiliated with me, but that's just something I use, but I, I bet you I'll go through four or five bottles a season. Uh, I squeeze it. I might take 10 steps and squeeze it. Might take a step and squeeze it, <laughs> you know, um, so I'm constantly doing that. And then I'm constantly trying to keep eyes on. Um, that's, that is the biggest advantage of hunting on the ground is if you can keep eyes on, if you can't keep eyes on, then you don't know if you can move or not. And so then you're just, you, you know, you, I don't know. And then you, if you have a spotter, that has eyes on and um, I'm always constant. I'm thinking if I stop and I'm glassing, I'm stopping an area that I'm able to shoot in no matter what. And what I mean by that Mark is, is every place that I, I say that I'm going to get to or I'm going to move to when I get to that area, you know, I want to make sure that I can swing my bow and what my shots are at that point because everything can happen on the ground in a in an instant. Um, so I'm always thinking about can I shoot here, or you know, I've got my rangefinder swinging. I'm always checking yardages because I shoot I shoot a one pin, and I know a lot of people don't like that, uh, but I shoot a one pin archery sight. So I'm constantly, uh, and I pretty much range until I hit 30 yards in my rangefinder. And that's what I range for because I leave my sight on 30 yards. Um, but I practice with it 30 and shoot down to 10 and out to 50 with it. Um, so I'm constantly ranging, constantly scent checking, and then I'm constantly moving. I mean, I'm a pretty aggressive hunter when it comes to moving on the deer. If I bump him, then I'm just giving him and myself, I give myself a time, you know, take a breath, but I'm giving that deer just a, a minute to cool down. And then I'm going right back after him if I can. You know, I'm I'm not going I'm not gonna if I bump a deer, I'm not gonna give up on him and, and say, okay, well let's go find another one. Um I stay on that deer until till I know he's I ain't going to have a chance at him, you know? Um, so that's kind of the things that I'm, that's going through my head is, um, I don't, a lot of people take their shoes off and have thick socks. I've, I've never done that. Um, you know, I'm not much on thorns and rocks and stuff hitting my feet. Um, so I, I just, I, I keep my boots on. I, I wear a pair of like tennis shoe type boots. 
Um, and uh, a lot of time I'm running, and a lot of time I'm depending on what if I'm I'm trying to catch up with him or not. I mean, but if I bump him, I just keep on staying on him, and uh, it's worked out sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't work out. Um, it uh, it's a funny thing when you're when you're hunting on the ground uh, because you're anticipating so much to happen at every stop. But then none of those things happen. So you, then you then you take another mental note and go, okay, now I need to move now. And then you stop again. You take a mental note. I need to, okay, check your shot, check your wind. You know, is everything good? You know, we film too. So you're, you know, I've got an extra man with me the whole time over my shoulder, which makes it just a, a different level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm having to make sure that he's good too because he's rolling right along with me. And uh, so there's just a, a multiple things running through your head. So you, it's a it's a constant mental battle of saying, okay, it's going to happen here, and then something, you know, some quirk or something happens, and it doesn't happen. Well, then you got to change modes and say, okay, take a breath, you know, take a step back, and then go go again. Um, and I like that part of it. I think that that's a, a challenging part of it is, hey, are you are you just going to tuck tail and run, or are you going to see if you can close the deal? Yeah. Um, and so, like I said before, most of the time I'm unsuccessful, but I tend to connect all the dots sometimes. Try it long enough and it comes together, right? Yeah, I mean it. it, it I mean, I, 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 everybody around around there knows I ground hunt. I mean, I love it, and I have I have found success in it. Uh, I've learned a lot from it. I've I've had a lot of failures in it too, but they're not failures really because you're always learning from them. But you know that deer I killed last year. I think I was on that deer four and a half hours mark, and I bumped that deer. One, I bumped that deer five to seven times, uh, and he was with a doe, so that made it that made it better for me, better for the hunter. Uh, and then he ran completely out of sight. And Jake, the cameraman, he was like, man, he said, man, that sucks. He said, we, we had a lot of time in that deer. And I was like, but we're not done. He said, that's a long way away. And I said, well, we're, we're going for a long walk, <laughs> you know. And, and it just so happened that I went, I walked that. We went all the way down there. And I watched that doe and that buck bed down, you know, 150 yards below me. You know, Josh, Josh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but before you go any further, yeah, I think this story maybe is worth telling from the beginning because I, I think it illustrates a lot of the stuff we've talked about and, and it might be helpful. Can you just okay. start from the beginning and kind of tell the story, but maybe point out some of the how-to stuff that we've been covering throughout um, and kind of walk us through how that began all the way up to this? Because I, I, when I watched this, I was 
kind of floored how it all came together and how many times you kept finding him despite him running off and, and all that. It, it was pretty interesting. So I'd love to maybe let's yeah. dive deep into that. Okay. So, you know, that morning we're glassing and um, I'm glassing from, a, from a, you know, probably six or 700 yards away and I see a deer and I can't tell really his size. Um, so we, we take off in the, in the truck and we swing around and then I get out of the truck when I, I think I get to an area where I think I can see him, but I'm not a hundred percent sure because I lost, I lost sight of him. Well, we crawl over this berm and we spot the deer and, um, and then he, he, he busts us, you know, we're 200 yards from him and he sees me. I tried to get up on my knees on the berm and he sees me and he busts us with the doe and he starts chasing the doe across this bottom. Well, from that point on, he knows that we're there. He, he knows that something's up, but he also is chasing tail, you know, so he has to figure out what's best for him. Well, so we, we take off running and this deer's out of sight at this point. And I get up above him because the wind is, you know, it was early in the morning. So, uh, the wind, I have a crosswind, but the thermals are coming up out of the holler. They're rising because it got warm that day fast. So I get up above him and I'm, I'm glassing again, trying to find him, just trying to find a horn or whatever. And then all of a sudden he pops up 60 yards from us. Uh, and I'm like, Oh my God, there he is, Jake. And, and I'm thinking, Hey, we're, we're done for here. And we're sitting there looking at this deer and we're in a, we're in a stare down for eight or 10 minutes that we, we don't move. And, uh, He's looking at the doe, looking at us, looking at the doe, looking at us. And uh, I'm telling Jake, I said, something's going to happen here. You know, we're going. So then the deer takes off the doe. Well, some other bucks get involved and they're chasing the deer around. Well, they start chasing the deer. And I was like, well, this is time for us to move. Well, I watch them chase. They chase this doe around probably 150 yards and it gets into real CRP. It's not CRP in West Virginia, but it's that type of vegetation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't, people in Southern West, it's CRP, but people in West Virginia don't consider it. They don't call it CRP. They just call it a briar thicket. Yeah. You know, and so we're waist deep in this. When I run, I take off running. No, I'm going to, I'm going to interject one thing here and I'm going to, I'm going to do this throughout. I'm going to kind of try to pick on little things. And this is one of the more general questions I had, but it applies here. And, and so when you're deciding when to go fast versus when to go slow, what 
how do you make that decision? Like when you're going to run or try to cover a bunch of ground or when you got to sneak? I mean, is it, is it simply, I mean, there's some obvious things. Like there's obviously well, like he's going to see you or, or hear you. But The simplest thing, Mark, is, and, and people don't need to overthink it. The simplest thing in your speed is distance between you and the deer. Can, if you can walk to the deer and you're, and he's not going to leave, and the time constraints aren't going to make him leave, then, hey, walk by all means. Um, but if if you know that, that you need to move on that deer and get to him, then I, then you need to pick up the pace. That's the it's a, it, Don't overthink it. I mean, and you'll foul it up. You'll think you need to run sometimes, and you'll run head and eyes on him, five yards. You'll, pick, you'll be running and go over the hill, and then, oh, gosh, there he is. And, yeah. and then, then it's over with. But then there's times that, you might think you need to walk, and then by the time you walk over it, there he's long gone. Uh, so if you if you have distance between you and the animal you're going after, my opinion is is you need to close that distance so you can get eyes on the deer because in the end, having eyes on is the most important thing. That will tell you what you're going to do and what you're going to do next. Now, how so much? Sorry, how much do you worry about other deer? So, you know, you got to cover a bunch of ground, let's say, but what if there's a doe in between you and him or, or a little buck or something, and you know that buck's getting further and further away, but now you've got a little buck standing in the way. Do you just blow that deer out because you want to keep moving, or do you stop and try not to spook any deer because he might spook your big buck? No. If, it, if, it, if it's a shooter... If a shooter comes into range while I'm in the middle of a chase, then I then I shoot that deer. If it's any other deer, I could care less about him. I'm going I'm going to the deer I'm after. So you're not worried about those deer spooking my target. No, I don't. If it if they do spook him, Mark, you know, like I said, he's just going to go into another area and then I'm just going to go into that area and find him. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I know that sounds bad, but these deer, so many people have a misconception that these deer are running a thousand yards from you when you, if you bump them and they, and they might, but a majority of the deer that I've bumped, if I give them a few minutes and I look at the terrain then I can probably go in that area and find that deer in the next 30 minutes. <laughs> if I give myself enough time to, to, to glass and look, I'm probably going to find that deer again. And you'd be surprised how many, how many people would give up at that point because they think that deer's gone. They're not running. They're running just because you scared them. It'd be like you, you running. If you got scared of, of something, you, you're going to stop once you, once you get away from it. Unless it keeps on running after you, yeah. You know, it's the same thing on those deer. I mean, um, so I say if to decide your pace is how much distance you got to get to keep eyes on the on the animal, and and you might screw that up. But having eyes on is the number one thing, because that's gonna that's gonna tell you your next move. Yeah. Uh, and, and 
So when that deer took off and I lost, I lost line of sight with him, you know, and part of that was because of terrain. I chose to, I chose to lose line of sight because I said that deer, if he comes around this knob, then I'm going to be good. If he doesn't, then I can use the knob as cover and I'll go up and over the knob and I'll be on top of the deer. Uh, well, in that instance, when I used that knob as terrain, the, me and the deer actually met up on the knob <laughs> and I bumped him again. Um, and I thought at that time, I did think that it was over at that point. Um, and I watched the deer run. I don't know. He probably ran two or 300 yards. And, um, as soon as he went over the hill, I took off running after him. Uh, I didn't worry about how much noise I was making in that brush. I just wanted to get eyes back on him. But when I got like 50 yards from the edge, I went to a crawl, not like a on fours, on all fours crawl, but I started sneaking. Uh, and there was a, a couple of trees, if I remember right, there was a couple of pine trees right there on, there on the edge where he had gone over. And I used those as cover walking up to the edge. And this is the edge of what? This is the edge of, of, of a steep hill that he went over. Okay. Uh, it's grassy terrain, reclaimed, brushy. Uh, it's just a slope. Um, and lo and behold, I got there and you know, you're, you're just kind of going to the edge, as you can see, a little bit at a time. And all of a sudden, like 70 yards away, I see his tines. And I put my binders up, and I told Jake, I said, I said, man, I said, we're, we're back in it, man. I said, he's right here. And all that deer did, he ran like 200 yards and went over that slope. And he felt safe, and he stopped. Because um, the doe was back up there with us. Now, the doe eventually went down there with him. And so I, I at that point, I'm just watching him. And so, and this is when I got, I kind of got aggressive because he was getting close to the timber and there was a there's major thicket between me and the woods. And then he was in the middle of us and he was getting ready to get in that thicket. I knew I wouldn't get a shot if he got in there. So I rounded the knob and I'm sneaking at this point because I don't know where he's at, don't know where the doe's at. And I go around the point and I, I told Jake, I said, stop. I said, I said, daggone, I said, the doe's right here. And he was going where? And I was like, like seven or eight steps in front of us. <laughs> and and I'm thinking, man, it, 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 this could be over. And I was like, I don't see him. And, but I hear him coming. I said, oh, oh to our left. And I look and I, I see his horns and I see his face. I mean, he, he pops up at nine yards from me. And, and I'm not even pointing, like I'm pointing at 12. He, he pops up at 10. And I can't move. All I'm doing is looking at him. And so we, and it was, crazy and i don't know 
if we were in the shadows at that point, I can't, I'd have to go back and kind of look. But like that deer didn't see, uh, he saw us and he knew something was wrong, but like they didn't blow out of there or nothing. The doe kind of just trotted off and he went right with her. Uh, and I kind of turned and ran back the way I came from and I moved. I, and at that point I had moved too fast. I ran back around and cause I thought they kind of busted out of there faster than they did. Well, then when I came back around, I actually, they had calmed back down already. And this is only 30 seconds. All they did was just jump out of my line of sight. And I came back around the knob and, and they weren't even, they were alert. But I bumped them again and that's when they took off and ran a long way. And I was like, oh my gosh. Because uh, I have them so close. I mean, I mean, nine yards, I mean, you can bump them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, and then, it, you know, it, it had been exhausting. I mean, it, I think it, I'd been on that deer three or three and a half hours at that time, um, bumping him and just playing cat and mouse. And and Jake was like, man. I was like, no, man. I said, he said, it got hot. And it did get hot that day. And I said, well, you better strip your clothes off. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't stopping now. Uh, so we run down there, uh, and we got into a, to a valley field. And that's a that's an area that the strip mine throw they dump all their overburden in and they reclaim it. It's a real nice area, but it just lo and behold, Mark, I got down there. Something told me to go after him. And, and why did you? Sorry, why did you? After they ran off, way off, and disappeared, mm-hmm. they what they got out of sight right after the big yeah. long run. So, yeah. just help me understand what why you went to that valley field was it simply because like that's the direction they're headed or how did you how did you pick them back up again i guess in that well my thought was is i'd been on that deer for so long that they couldn't they couldn't stand it no more i mean it was getting hot they're gonna have to stop i mean they had been he had been running this doe been fending defending the doe from other bucks he mounted that doe at one point uh and, and, you know, did his thing there. So, you know, he's tired. I knew he was tired. Uh, she's, you know, he's done wore her out. Uh, so what made me go after was like, man, you know, what if they just got over to Valley Field and they're just chilling out? You know, they just want to get away from everybody. Uh, it, it's just like people. Uh, so when I did, I decided to go after him and, and man, uh, got over there and I mean, got to watch him bed down with her. I mean, it was like, Oh my gosh. So then we was able, I was able to kind of sit down and take a breath. I checked the wind and the wind was still coming straight up out of the holler. And I said, man, I said, I'm going to get a shot on this deer for sure. And so, uh, threw a game plan together and, um, went way around to get down on a level above him. Uh, and I started crossing it and, um, you know, it took about an hour or so to stalk in there and, and got in above him and I got in above him and he stood up a couple times and I thought I was going to get a shot and then he just bed back down and I was like, oh man. And then it's just, 
mentally draining because you're sitting there arranging him and you range him one time and you know that's it but then you start questioning yourself well, did i range him is it is that the right range did i catch did i catch grass yeah you know and, and these are things that plays in my mind you know because you, you start to get exhausted and then uh at the moment he stood up and and I pulled back when he stood up because I figured that'd be my time to shoot. And, you know, I sat there and held for probably 30 or 45 seconds before he gave me an angle because he was too steep. I don't like shooting at that steep of an angle, the deer going away from you. But he turned perfect, man, and uh, I was ready to shoot, and and I put it through the boiler room. I mean, it, 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 and it was just a – I got super pumped, and it wasn't the biggest deer I've ever killed. Uh but it was one of the most successful hunts that I've, that I've done. Um, and it, it, you know, when you're on a deer like that, it, it's not always, uh, I don't, well, I've never considered size of, of a measuring factor of how successful a hunt is, but, um, that was a good hunt. It was a good successful hunt. And there was a lot of stuff that went on during that hunt that, that made me a better hunter. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's the, a big, big take on it. Two questions when it comes to, you know, all of those, you, you had a bunch of different moments where you're kind of stalking it on him and you were closing the distance and getting close. And you mentioned how you're, you're always puffing your bottle, checking that wind. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned a couple times thermals. Can you just walk me through anything else when it comes to wind? Like one of the things that some guys out West will typically try to do is, is they like to stalk in with maybe a, a quartering two wind or a crosswind or or some people will always say well i want the wind directly in my face like they'll, they'll adjust their approach based on wind direction sometimes um do you ever factor in wind above and beyond simply making sure it's not blowing to them or is it just as simple just make sure my wind's not blowing to them and then you don't care other factors are more important after that what's what's your take there i mean i i think wind is the most, you know, besides line of sight is the most important factor. Cause sometimes I think that the wind swirls so bad down there where we hunt. Uh, I mean, you can see that hunt in, um, in that big eight point I was talking about earlier. Uh, that wind was blowing directly at that deer for half of that hunt. And then you can see, when I get down on the same level with him and he starts coming to us with that wind, it's just rolling in circles. You can see it high grass you, and you can watch the wind go through that high grass and it's just blowing. It's just blowing in circles up there on top of that flat. It's got there, no thermals going to knock it down or raise it up because you're, you're, you're so flat up there on top, but you can watch the wind in the video and it's just running round and round, and that deer is just watching me. But for the first that evening when I killed that deer, I'm I'm telling you, for the first forty five minutes of that hunt, that wind was blowing dead at him. I mean, you can hear me in the video. I said when I bumped bumped him out of the bed, I said, "Don't go that way." And I said, "Oh, I said I said it's over, Jay." I said, "He he's going." I said. And I counted down from five or three, two, one. I said, here he goes. And he stops. And he looks. 
And then he just goes about his business. And I mean, it's blowing right to him. And, you know, he, I said, well, heck, I said, if it ain't going to bother you, ain't going to bother me. <laughs> I said, I'm, gonna come, I'm coming after you, buddy, because I want to thump him. How did you? How do you figure you were able to get away with that? Why did why why did that work? Uh, n- number one, that setup that evening for that situation, why it worked. In uh, one, I think I had the the, the sun uh, at my back, and I stayed in the shadows, and I don't think that deer. I think that deer just. He knew something was there, but like he didn't, he didn't know what was going on or what it was. And he just wanted to get closer to figure out what I was. Um, but I stayed in the shadows so well that evening. And, you know, if you stay in the shadows and you use the sun, I mean, you, you can, you can blend in to where nothing can see you pretty damn good. You know, that was going to be the next question I was going to ask about, too, was was how often are you thinking about sun direction? Is that something that is I always see. on your mind? Yeah. I mean, concealment, um, concealment, you know, top three um, on, on the on the chart for me when I'm on the ground. Uh, it's, you know, pretty much I like to keep sight of them. I check my wind, and then I try to stay concealed. Um, but there's sometimes, like, they know you're there, so you might as well just get after it. You know, who cares if they see you? You know, um, but uh, I like staying concealed, and and I hate I hate you know looking like I'm a solar panel. <laughs> you know, it's the worst feeling in the world when you're in that situation. And I and I was in this in this, in this past fall. I mean, I think I even talked about it on that video. It was like, this is just terrible setup. This is a terrible situation, right? At, at that moment, not the whole stock, but like where I went to in the stock, like it just wasn't a good situation at that moment. And I, I even mentioned it in the video. I was like, "This just isn't good." Yeah, I mean, we're sitting out here, we're like a, a a big dang on Christmas tree lit up, and it's just not good. Um, so you hate to put yourself there, but that's just the direction that that stock went, and we end up getting out of that and getting back, you know, to our advantage. But yeah, you don't want to, uh, light yourself up. It, that's in any type of hunt. And I think that, uh, that you do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, that's definitely, uh, you got to consider all that. I mean, in every situation, Mark is different. Every hunt's different. Um, and that's the greatest thing. That's, Probably the greatest thing about hunting on the ground is you might cover the same terrain, but it ain't going to be the same hunt. Yeah. How about shots? I know on that uh, 2017 or 18 hunt when that buck came walking right up on you, you had to take a frontal shot. Uh, I know on that other most recent season, you had that buck that was standing up and laying down and standing up for a long time, and it took a while. You know, what are some of the unique things you need to think about when hunting and shooting at ground level um, and maybe some unique shots like that frontal shot versus will you ever shoot at a bedded deer or do you always wait for them to stand up? I'd be curious on your, just your take on all that. Well, uh, frontal shots, I'll take them every day as long as it's within 25 yards. 
Um, I, and I caught, I caught hail for taking that frontal shot. Um, but that deer didn't go 80 yards and he, he piled up like a sack of potatoes, you know? Um, and I feel comfortable taking that frontal shot. I ain't going to take it out 30, 35 yards because I'm not comfortable with that, but I'm going to take it every day that one walks at me or if I catch one, uh, from probably 20, 25 yards in, I'm taking it. Um, then, but then totally opposite that deer this past fall was 49 yards. Uh, and I could have slung an arrow at him when he's bedded down, but that's not a good shot. That's not a good, it's not, my opinion is it's not a good decision to shoot at any, any deer that's bedded down. It's just a very hard shot. Uh, you might have a 20%, you know, odds that a deer is laying perfect for you to take a shot bedded down. You know, most of the time they're, they're guarding their vitals when they're laying down, um, from what I've experienced. Uh, so I don't take, I don't, I don't think I've ever, I don't know if I've shot at any bedded deer. Um, oh, I, I did. I did. Uh, I, I shot at a bedded deer. Um, I, it was probably in 2000 or 2001 and it was in the big woods, um, that I, that I spot and stalked on this big deer. Uh, I was chasing another big buck in the woods and then saw him with a doe and, and turned my attention to him. And when I got over there, he was bedded down and I shot at him bedded down. Uh, and it ended up being a mistake. Uh, I missed that deer. And, uh, but I think that's the only deer that I've shot at bedded down. I, I don't take that shot a lot. I just cause I don't like it. Um, but when you're when you're on the ground, you got to be ready to shoot, and that's why I say you always check. You can't stop somewhere where you can't shoot, because if you do that enough times, you're gonna get caught with your britches down. Uh, it's simple as that. So you 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 got to take what mistakes that could possibly happen out of the equation. You got to put everything in your odds that, that you can, and that's a simple thing. If you stop, that's the first thing that you're thinking about is, can I shoot right here? If you think about that every time, then that 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 part of the equation is out. So now the odds are in your favor again. You know what I mean? You're trying to eliminate stuff that'll screw you up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and a perfect example, Mark is. Uh, I was in Ohio two days after I killed a deer in West Virginia this year. It was November third or fourth, I can't remember. And and I got on the ground with a with a with a nice ten point. And uh, do you know why that I didn't kill that deer? Because when I tucked in, it was a, I mean a stinking perfect setup. Wind was perfect. I had perfect cover. Deer come 40 yards broadside. And the reason I didn't kill that deer is because when I went to pull my bow back, the top half of my limb on my top limb on my bow tinged on an autumn olive branch. And that deer blew and took off. That was not, that was my mistake. It should not have happened. I beat myself for probably 
a good three or four days on that um, because I, I normally don't uh, I mean, I make a lot of mistakes, but I normally don't make that mistake. I'm usually very uh, in tune with my immediate surroundings, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you got to be able to shoot to kill something, and I wasn't. And that's why I didn't get a shot at that deer. Uh, and it was a puke. Um, and you got to be ready for any shot. I mean, I think every, every person uh, – has to find their comfort level on what they can shoot. There's been years, Mark, that I've told myself, hey, I'm not shooting, I'm not shooting past 35 yards. Um, and I wouldn't because I I didn't practice enough. I didn't uh, put the reps in. This past year, I would have shot out to 60 yards and felt comfortable because I shot a lot. I practiced a lot. I put a lot of time in. Uh, so I think that that every person, every every hunter, uh, they have to figure that out in themselves. Uh, comfort level on shots. I mean, I I, I don't shoot a better deer. Hey, if if you feel comfortable shooting a better deer, Mark, hey, have at it. Um, but I'll take a frontal shot, and a lot of people won't take those. Um, but it's devastating when you hit them. Yeah. The, you don't want that worst case scenario. Well, devastating if you hit him right and kill him. You're right. I was going to, I was thinking of it as it would be devastating to hit and wound one though. Um, and not find it uh, on the flip side. So it's like you said, you got to be comfortable. It's got to be within your, within your skill range and the amount of time you put in and, and making sure you know how to handle those specific situations. So it's, uh, it, 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 it's all, um, it's all situational and it's all within a, within a, a person's skill set. Yeah. So, so what about this, Josh? We've, uh, I've kept you a long time it's, and it's because we've had a lot of really good stuff to cover. Um, oh man, I've enjoyed it, buddy. It, me too. Um, I, it, I, I, I could probably talk deer and hunt on the ground for six hours. <laughs> Be careful what you, uh, what you pitch out there. Cause I might just try to make you prove it. <laughs> hey, um, man, I, dude, I, I love talking deer and, and on the ground stuff. Me too. Uh, well, let me, let me ask one last question and then I'll let you get going. Cause I know you've got a, might have an early morning turkey hunting probably tomorrow. Um, for, I'm just thinking of folks that are listening who yeah. have typically hunted from a tree stand or a saddle or whatever. They're typically elevated ambush hunters, but they've seen you doing this. They've seen Kirk doing this. They've seen Zach do this from THP. They're seeing this more and more and they're thinking, man, I got to give it a shot. Um, and I know you, there's some people within your circle, some of your friends who have been stand hunters, who you've kind of converted to hunting the ground. What would you say, the biggest mistake is that you've seen stand hunters making when they try to transition to this ground style. What's the biggest thing that folks need to avoid? And and this, this is going to sound uh, corny, but it's, it's the not wanting to make a mistake. If that makes any sense, Mm -hmm. uh, Stand hunters, they don't want to get out of their comfort zone because they don't want to make mistakes. And that's, I can tell you right now, you're hunting on the ground, ain't nothing going to be perfect. 
it ain't it ain't uh, you know double dips of ice cream in chocolate. <laughs> it, it's uh, you're gonna make mistakes, but the mistakes you got to learn from them. It's 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 like uh, the only dumb question is the one you don't ask. Yeah, uh, that's the same thing for hunters that have never ground hunted. Heck, I think everybody ought to get out there and try it. Now they might not like it. The thing to do is to uh, is to go at your pace, but go at a deliberate pace. Know what your plan is, your mindset, get your mind right, and and be deliberate on how you hunt. Um, and be focused is what you know what I mean. Uh, that'd be my biggest advice. I mean, you're you're going to make mistakes, but there's so much information out there that now on so many different levels and forms that I didn't have there, you know, at that age that you, uh, you know, when I started ground hunting, it was when I first got in the Marine Corps and heck, we just got out there and it was trial and error by gosh. Um, now you can, you can get good information off a lot of these forms that will help you that will increase your opportunities right out of the, right out of the gate. Uh, you just got to get out there and try them. Yeah. Yeah. That right there. I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head as far as one of the things that I know that, you know, the little that I have dabbled in this, um, has been something that I, that I'm sure I've been guilty of, which is just that very thing. Afraid, like being afraid of failure, so much of stand hunting, so much of, you know, your typical deer hunting advice these days. And, and I'm guilty of having like preached this, which, which is don't bump deer, don't overpressure deer, don't blow up your spot. Um, and, and this, <laughs> and this style is like the opposite of all those things. So, well, um, I, I don't know if, I don't know if this style is opposite. I, it, it might just be me. I don't, uh, I don't put a lot of, uh, emphasis on those things but but your your track record shows that it works you know it, there's there's a lot of ways this can work and and i think that's what makes this so cool is that your way works and my way works and yeah. everyone's different you know i've talked to hundreds of different people now who are doing this stuff consistently and killing deer and putting mature bucks down or whatever it is they're trying to do and and there's been several hundred different ways of doing it. So I love that. I love that you can skin this cat in so many different kind of ways. You just got to kind of find out what's the right thing for you. I mean, it, we, we didn't get into it. I mean, but most of the time now, uh, cause I've kind of converted to a saddle hunter. Uh, but you know, I'm carrying my saddle with me. If I'm on the ground, there'd been times now it hadn't worked out for me since I've been saddle hunting, but there've been times and it, and it, I know it, opening a whole nother can mark <laughs> you know i'll be on the ground hunting but i'll run across this sign and I, i'll get in a tree right then you know i won't ground hunt anymore that day i'll i'll climb and get in, get in a tree um so there it's all you know you just got to give yourself the right tools um for you know any possible situation you run into yeah yeah having a lot of arrows and a lot of different arrows in your quiver can be a right. it's a good place to be yeah that's right well uh at the risk of 
well, I don't want to keep you till the morning and those birds are gobbling off the roost already and, and you're still here talking to me. So I'm going to let you go, Josh. But uh, for people that want to watch your hunts, who want to follow along with what you guys have got going on, where would you tell people to, to find you and connect online? Yeah, check us out uh, on YouTube at The Untamed. Uh, we're at, on Facebook and Instagram at The Untamed. And uh, check us out. I mean, we do a lot. We're pretty diverse in uh, in the stuff we do. It's a... It's cool stuff. I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the videos and and seeing how you're putting all this into action is is uh, is really interesting to see. So uh, highly recommend it. And and I, I appreciate you having me on. I, I was really excited, Mark, and uh, uh, I appreciate it. Hey, you're you're welcome, and I I appreciate you taking the time. So uh, let's stay in touch, Josh, and uh, I hope we can circle back and have another one of these chats and I can pry open that worm or that can of worms about saddle hunting and, and all that stuff next time. Sounds good, buddy. All right. Thanks, Josh. See you. All right. And that is a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Head on over to themeateater.com and make sure you're signed up for our Whitetail Weekly newsletter got a lot of interesting exciting new things dropping this week in fact if the plan uh, goes as it's supposed to we'll be announcing some of the cool new things coming up this week so i hope you are subscribed to that newsletter so you can hear about it also stay tuned over on uh, this podcast of course as well as instagram and the wired hunt facebook page for all those things coming down the pipe and uh i think with that we can wrap it up so thanks for tuning in thanks for hanging out with me this week um I know it's just April, but before you know it, it's going to be summer, and then you're going to blink your eyes, and the next thing you know, it's going to be autumn, and we'll be hunting again. So uh, check off those boxes on the to-do list. Keep working. Keep uh, shooting that bow. Keep on scouting. Keep listening to this podcast. Until next time, stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.